Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 55, recorded Sunday, March 28, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerpino. Well, like magic, the calendar hit spring last weekend, and almost overnight, we went from the cold and blustery late winter to a stretch of some spectacular spring-like weather, with bright sunshine, cloudless skies, gentle breezes, and 65-degree air temperatures. Now it's time to start warming up the water. Last week, I was most fortunate to get my second Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Also, it looks like the rollout is going very well here in Connecticut. We're also looking forward to a time when we can get back to as much as normal as we can. We have some new ideas in the final stages of planning to bring scuba to more people around the state and are enthusiastic about a great rebound here in 2021. So far, so good. On today's show, I'll complete the final part two of the Project C-Lab 1 summary report from 1965, where we'll talk more about the mission, their findings, conclusions, and recommendations. But first up, as is now the new normal here on Scuba Shack Radio, it's Wet Notes. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Sunday, March 28, 2021. First up today, I want to give you an update from REEF, or the REEF Environmental Educational Foundation. They have released their 2022 field survey trips, and it's pretty neat. They have 11 trips planned in 2022, starting with St. Vincent in February and that is being led by Amy Lee. For those of you who listened to the show, I had Amy on the show last July. They also have a Cuba trip in March, followed by Raja Ampat in April. May and June will feature St. Lucia and Roatan. July is the Red Sea, and Hawaii is in August. The September 2022 Baja trip is already sold out. Grand Cayman is October, Bonaire is in November, and the year closes out in December in Cozumel. You might want to take a look at the Reef website for all the details, availability, and pricing. These trips look pretty awesome. Last week, Ned, who's a dive master at the shop, passed on a New York Times article about looking for climate solutions. And this article was written by Katrin Einhorn. Essentially, she reported that ocean bottom trawling for shrimp, 
whiting, cod, and other fish, emits as much carbon dioxide into the air as the entire global aviation industry. Now, this was based on a study published in the journal Nature. And it was pretty enlightening about how the trawling releases immense amounts of carbon from the ocean floor, and that leads to more acidification of the water, and that reduces the ocean's capacity to absorb atmospheric carbon dioxide. You can check out the entire article on the New York Times website. Look for Climate Solutions by Katrine Einhorn. There's another piece of good news out of Maui. Earlier this month, the Honolulu Star Advertiser reported that a trained response team was able to free a young humpback whale from gear entangling its left pectoral flipper. They were able to free about 50 to 100 feet of line from the flipper, but not were able to get the uh, entangled line out of its mouth. They are hoping that that will ultimately free itself. They haven't seen the whale since it was freed. Apparently it wasn't in great shape, but at least now it has a chance. They recovered gears being analyzed to see if they can determine the origin. Now the efforts were led by the Hawaiian Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary in partnership with Cardinal Point Captains, the Keiki Kohala Project, and Ultimate Whale Watch. Now, I've had the opportunity to go out with Ultimate Whale Watch from Lahaina a couple of times. I was very happy to hear of their support. We carry a lot of aqualung equipment in our shop, and like most businesses, 2020 taught many of us a lot of lessons. Well, Aqualung recently sent out a message that they are introducing a new Aqualung. It is a bit of a rebranding. They are using a new tagline, Beyond the Expected. In the message, they said that 2020 taught them to expect the unexpected. Time to seek out the unexpected. If you check out the Aqualung website, they further state that they are for the ocean exploration, for ocean understanding, and for ocean conservation. The Aqualung site also has a really inspiring short two-minute video to get you inspired. Stay tuned for more from Aqualung as they go beyond the expected. Earlier in the week, I got an email from Nicole Russell, DEMA Vice President of Operations, and that email had a lot of different information in it. But one of the items that stood out said, Las Vegas is open for business. That means they are in fact planning to hold the DEMA Show 2021 in Las Vegas in person. And that's some very exciting news. There was a Learn More link in the email that took you to the Dive Equipment and Marketing Association's website, where they gave you a list of all the trade shows, conventions, and meetings scheduled in Las Vegas of over 5,000 or more attendees in the next 12 months. Now that was an interesting list. FYI, the Marijuana Business Daily, or MJ BizCon 2021, is expected to draw 30,000 people, and it's just one month before DEMA. For all of you dive pros out there, mark your calendar for DEMA Show 2021, 
November 16th to the 19th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Can't wait to get back to DEMA. And finally, Earth Day 2021 is less than a month away. Earth Day is actually April 22nd. However, it looks like this year they are promoting three days of climate action. It starts on April 20th. There are three lead organizations working on this. Educational International, or Education International, the Hip Hop Caucus, and Earth Uprising. And they will will be organizing three separate parallel climate action summits on April 20th and 21st, ahead of President Biden's Global Leaders Climate Summit on April 22nd. What a difference a year makes. What a different political climate. Additionally, EarthDay.org will be producing the second Earth Day Live digital event on April 22nd. Check out their website on EarthDay.org for more information. Well, that wraps up Wet Notes for Sunday, March 28th, 2021, here on Scuba Shack Radio. Today, I want to conclude my two-part series on the Project C-Lab 1 summary report from June of 1965. To recap, in Part 1, I took you through the background information contained in the report, C-Lab's C-Trials, and the ultimate successful placement at 193 feet off of Argos Island near Bermuda. You might recall that the four aquanauts, Anderson, Barth, Manning, and Thompson, had just entered the habitat on July 20th, 1964, for their 11-day mission. First off, they needed to make repairs on all the systems that were not operable. The initial report says that the subjects, sounds like a clinical experiment, which I guess it was, slowed their pace and that fatigue coupled with shoulder joint discomfort was noted. Their appetites were good, and their digestion and elimination were normal. Also, the report stated that their sensory perception remained unchanged, and the joint discomfort eased with time. Now, there are quite a few photographs in the report of the men in and around Sea Lab during the mission. Unfortunately, the photos are not really that good in the copy I have. Well, what work did they do? According to the report, the subjects performed work tasks outside of Sea Lab, investigating marine life, cleaning debris on the ocean floor surrounding Sea Lab, taking pictures of their operations and photos of the small one-man submersible called Star One, which was sent into the area for evaluation. Also described are two significant incidents that occurred during the mission, one of which was a serious nature, the other was related to nitrogen narcosis, and that hit two of the team members. 
The nitrogen narcosis incident actually happened when two of the aquanauts entered the transformer room of the lab without their Mark VI gear. It says that they immediately experienced narcosis, had to leave, and then helium was pumped in to prevent further issues with nitrogen narcosis. The more serious incident happened when Manning apparently struck his gas control yoke against the habitat and it accidentally closed it. As he was depleting his gas supply, he knew that something was wrong and made a hasty return to Sea Lab and lost consciousness as he entered. Fortunately, Anderson heard Manning's tanks hit Sea Lab and found him, lifted him above the water, applied resuscitation, and with the assistance of Barth and Thompson, he was saved. He remained active with the crew for the remainder of the mission. The only issue was a severe hemorrhage to the whites of his eyes. On Wednesday, July 29, 1964, the mission was terminated due to unfavorable weather predictions, and at 23.56, that's 11.56 p.m., Sea Lab was lifted off the bottom, and the arduous task of recovering the men and the habitat began. On August 4th, the aquanauts were taken out of decompression. Sea Lab equipment was packed and stowed for shipment, and on April 4th, 1964, at 11.30 a.m., Rear Admiral J.K. Layton, Chief of Naval Research, congratulated the success and officially terminated Sea Lab 1. Some interesting things were noted. For example, in the first paragraph of the summary report, it states, the men during the occupancy of Sea Lab accentuated their personal idiosyncrasies. During one period, excessive use of foul language developed, as well as an independent attitude with respect to the surface support. Guess they didn't appreciate Papa Topside trying to control them. Now, I want to quickly cover some of the findings. No surprise was that handling of the habitat was difficult, especially when there were waves. They also found that nitrogen percentage decreased over time as it was being absorbed by the seawater. And they could use compressed air to make up the O2 since nitrogen absorbed four times faster than O2 and the helium didn't dissipate. Another finding was that the hookah system failed to perform satisfactorily. Apparently, the pumps were noisy and overloaded easily. The report also outlined some findings on the men. One interesting note was regarding the selection process. It said that there might have been too many potential leaders, leading to an unwarranted degree of independence below. The conclusions stated that human subjects could live and work under pressure at 193 feet, and while all major systems worked, many were primitive. The report suggested that the divers could spend six hours outside each day. Also, provisions for adequate body heating while swimming around was a major problem, even though the water temperature was 69 degrees Fahrenheit. The Project Sea Lab Summary Report concludes with a series of recommendations, and, they, and those recommendations include 
a better handling system, a higher degree of independence from surface support, assigning one man full-time to housekeeping, a dry vehicle for transporting, and a final recommendation that a C-Lab task group of 25 to 35 people involved in future R&D in the Man in the Sea programs be put in place. So that concludes part two of the C-Lab 1 Office of Naval Research report from 1965. We know now that C-Lab 2 went on to a successful mission before the tragic events of C-Lab 3. But in 1964, at the height of the space race, we were also exploring inner space. Well, that wraps up today's show, our first show of the spring of 2021. Hope you enjoyed the two-part look back at C-Lab 1 and how the Navy saw things back then. Thanks again for listening. Appreciate it. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more Scuba Shack Radio. Until then, take care and be well. Bye for now. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.